0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. good evening. How we doing? Pretty good? Fantastic. Well, let's go uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be hanging out there uh, tonight. So my very first job uh, was at Risky's Barbecue in the stockyards. Uh, Yep. Uh, I was a server there. It was an incredible experience. I think everybody uh, should be required to wait tables for one year of their life. I think the world would just be a better place. I think we'd be nicer uh, and less rude. Uh, But it was an awesome experience. But one of the things that I noticed when I started waiting tables is that Christians have a horrible reputation in the restaurant industry. And I began to kind of connect the dots when I realized that no one wanted to work the Sunday lunch shift, which made no sense to me, uh, because if I know one thing about Christians, we love Sunday lunch, right? Like you get up, you get coffee on the way to church, then after church, you grub, right? Like that's how we roll. And so I was like, man, that's a busy shift. Like why don't people want this really busy shift? until I worked a few of them. And, uh, and one day, I'm, I'm, I'm standing there typing in an order, and this guy walks up, and he's trying to clo- close out his tab. And he looked at his receipt. He then punches the computer screen and says, I freaking hate Christians. He said it like not quite as nice as that, but you'll understand, right? And he says, I just hate Christians. Christians. These guys are the worst. And so I'm standing there. I'm like 18. I'm like, I don't identify yourself as, a, as one. Like, just like play cool. I'm like, all right. I was like, all right, what, what happened? He said, dude, like, like they, they show up. They have these like massive parties. And then there's always people that show up late. We're having to like pull chairs and tables and stuff like that. And then they're super needy and they're always wanting all these extra things. And then they do that stupid thing where they hold hands and they pray for all people to see. And then at the end of it, they don't tip. Like, they're, like, the worst tippers in the world. Like, they they run you ragged, and then they're just so stingy. And I heard that, and I was like, oh, it's not a good look for us. I was like, but maybe this is, like, a one-off thing. Maybe this is just this one experience. It wasn't. Um, The more I worked and the more I talked to other people, the more I realized that we have a reputation, at least in the uh, server-waiter world, uh, of just being stingy. And I hate that, because if we actually see what our our God calls us to, we're actually called to be incredibly generous. In fact, radically generous in the way that we operate. Um, So if you're just now jumping in with us, we are uh, in a series that we're calling Church People. And the goal of the series is we're trying to address the differences between who the world thinks we are and who our God actually calls us to be In his word. And and one of the things uh, that we're going to talk about tonight, or actually the thing that we're going to talk about tonight, is the fact that the world tends to view us as people that are stingy when we're actually called to be generous. We're talking about being stingy versus being generous. And so, um, what I want to do tonight is really simple. I I want to read a passage um, of a a group of Christians um, in the early church, and they have left for us this incredible model of what it looks like to be a generous people. And my hope is that as we kind of read and study uh, the model that they have left for us, that we can figure out how do we as a people in 2019 uh, be a group of Jesus followers who, who don't kind of have some kind of stingy, kind of hoarding uh, way of doing life, but we're actually incredibly, radically generous in the way that we live. So uh, let me dive in. This is 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, We want you to know, brothers— But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. All right, start right there. So um, l- let me give you a little context of what's happening here. Um, the church in uh, Jerusalem uh, is, uh, has fallen on some hard times. And so uh, Paul is traveling around trying to get the other network of churches uh, to give th- this fund to the church in Jerusalem. So he's walking around and he's asking all these guys, hey, will you give and kind of help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem? Right now they're, they're really hurting. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And as he's writing, he says, dude, I have to tell you what happened in Macedonia. Like never believe it, right? He says these guys just gave above and beyond. Like, they, they gave so much. It was, it, was, it was amazing, and like I didn't even like ask them to. Like we didn't expect them, but they just like begged us to, right? I mean they, they were just so generous. Like it blew our minds how generous they were, right? But there's a, a, a phrase that Paul says here, that, that I think we should really hone, hone in on. Because what makes this model for us so unbelievable is the fact that their circumstances should have never led to generosity. Like, their circumstances should have never led to them being a model of generosity uh, because Paul says something so backwards in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, it, it says this. It says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty— have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That sentence makes zero sense, right? I don't care what culture you're from, right? Like, like one, like we don't put abundance of joy and extreme poverty in the same sentence, right? Like, like if, if you are broke, if you are like, like, like honestly struggling to make ends meet, if you have a hard time feeding yourself or feeding those around you, if you're strapped with debt, if you are just your whole financial world is just coming unraveled, if you're facing like a legit extreme poverty, my guess is that that's not a joyful scenario, right? Like like that's not a joyful scenario. And on top of that, your extreme poverty is probably not resulting in an what, what to say like a, a wealth of generosity right? Overflowing in a wealth of generosity. Like, that's not how we operate, right? So, for instance, um, if you have graduated college, uh, you may remember the first time that your school called you for a donation. It's an infuriating phone, <laughs> phone call because they call, call you like two weeks after graduation, and you're like, what? Like, I literally just donated to you for four years, Right? <laughs> And like and I just got a job and then I got my first pay paycheck and then I realized like I didn't even make what I thought I was gonna make because then I donated to the government, right? And so I'm like (laughs) way broker than I ever thought that I would be at this point in life. And you want me to give you more money? Are you serious? Like if I had money, you're not the person I'd be giving it to, right? Stop calling me, right? Like I mean, like that's an infuriating phone call, right? Because Poverty, right, being broke, doesn't lead to joy, and it definitely doesn't lead to us just overflowing with generosity, right? Like, that's not how the world works. Yet that's the posture of the Macedonian church. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's backwards. So what happened? Why did this happen? There's actually two things that I think we can learn from the Macedonian church that I want to uh, point out before we begin to kind of talk about how this applies to us. And the first is this, is that the Macedonians saw giving um, as an opportunity rather than an obligation. That they saw giving as an opportunity rather than an obligation. And what I mean is that oftentimes when we talk about being generous, when, when we, we talk about giving ourselves away, right, we view it as, oh, this is something that I should do. Right? This is a good Christian thing that I, I should do, but we view it as a duty and not a delight. We see it as an obligation rather than an opportunity to play a part in what God's doing in the world in loving others and blessing others and serving others with our resources. Right? But that's not how the Macedonian church worked. They, they saw giving as a, an opportunity. So um, check out verse, verse 4. Paul says something so, so interesting. He says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. that Despite their poverty, they were begging us earnestly to be a part of bringing aid to those who were hurting. Now, um, the text doesn't tell us this this explicitly. So this is a bit conjecture. So just keep this over here. You don't have to beg to do things that you're welcome to do, right? So what this implies to me is that Paul may have said, hey, I don't really feel like you should be giving, right? I think you guys just keep your money, right? Because to beg to be a part of something, there there has to be a barrier, right? Like, you know, like I don't go home and beg my wife to do the dishes, right? I'm welcome to do it anytime, right? Anytime I want want to, green light, man. It's it's all you, right? So I don't beg that, right? But they are begging to be a part of what God's, God's doing, which implies that, that maybe somewhere along the line, Paul saw their poverty and he's like, hey, you know what? You're good. <laughs> do you like, you got mouths to feed. You've got bills to pay. Like, do you like, I don't need your money. Like that's super kind of you. But man, like you really don't have to be a part of this. But their response was like, like we don't have to be a part of this. Like We, we want to be a part of this. Like, like fellow brothers and sisters are, are hurting. Why would we not step in and be a part of that they beg them earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, right? And I think if we're honest, there's moments in time when, when we talk about generosity, it's like, oh, here we go again. We're talking about the thing that, yes, I should be more generous. And the reality is we need to ask ourselves, do we view giving as an opportunity or do we just see it as a good moral Christian thing that we should do? Do we see it as an obligation? And that's a tough place to get to. And In order to get to that place, we have to have a perspective shift. And and this is the shift that the Macedonian church actually had. Because the second thing that we see in the church of uh, Macedonia is that they uh, were also eager to do things that Jesus did. Why they were were begging to be a part of this is because they were just eager to do things that Jesus did. Um, If you skip down to verse 9, Paul explains what the Macedonian church knew and understood. And he says, he says this, he says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let me, let me read that again. It says, For you know the grace, you know what Christ has done for you, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that for your sake, uh, so, or so that you by his poverty might become rich. What, what Paul is explaining is that our why behind being generous is that we have a God who has been graciously generous to us, who's been radical in his generosity to us. Right? I mean, Paul reminds us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Meaning that since the very beginning, the, the cost, the penalty for sin is death. When, when sin is committed... Something or someone has to die. That's what it costs. Yet what makes the gospel so beautiful is that Jesus stepped down. He left his throne. He came to us, and he says, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. I will become poor so that you might become rich. It's this phenomenal exchange. The most generous thing a person could ever do is is pay life for life. And the Macedonian church is like, this is at the forefront of their minds. Like, hey, like, we understand that he was rich and he became poor so that through his poverty, we might get this incredible inheritance. That we get life instead of the death that we had rightfully earned. And so first, like, that has to be our perspective shift. Right, that we have to come to a place where we understand that, that this whole thing uh, rises and falls on the fact that, that this is what Christ has done for us. And that should lead us to a place where we long to do the things that Jesus did. Where we're eager to be generous because he's been generous to us. That one of the, uh, the distinguishing characteristics of the early church is that they long to do stuff that Jesus also did. So um, an example of this is early on the Romans I thought that Christians were masochists, meaning they thought that Christians derived some sort of sick, twisted pleasure from pain. And the reason is because during the season of uh, martyrdom and, and all these Christians dying for their faith, there's all these historical accounts of Christians going to be beheaded or killed or stoned or whatever it was, and they were singing and they were rejoicing. They were just elated to go die. And the Romans had no category for it, right? I mean, Romans were like perfectionist and killing people, right? They were so good. And they saw these people going to their deaths and they're singing and they're rejoicing. And they thought, I guess they derive pleasure from pain. Like I, like, I can't think of any other explanation for why this would be happening. But what early historians write is that, you no, know, like they weren't masochists. They were so excited to get to do what Jesus did. They saw that, man, Jesus suffered for me. So man, I, I now get to go suffer for him. It's the best thing in the world. And so on a very uh, much less extreme level, that's what's happening here. The, the Macedonian church is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus gave everything for me. Like he, he gave his life for me, so why, why would I not jump at an opportunity to look like him, to be like him, and to give to help those? I mean, if he was rich and he became poor for others, then yeah, I'm poor, I'll just become more poor for others, right? Like, like I want to be a part of giving. Like I want to be generous because he was generous to me, right? And I think if we're honest, we as the church, just in general, have kind of lost sight of this idea where we're eager to do the things that Jesus did. I think we all want to look like Jesus, right? I think most people in this room would say, Yeah, I want to look like Christ. I want others to look at me and think that I look like Christ. I want others to love Christ more because of the life that I lead. But the reality is we don't get super stoked about doing the things that Jesus did. Because the things that Jesus did are actually really difficult. So we want to look like him, but we're not really always willing to do the things that he did. So what I want us to, to do tonight in the time that we have left is I want to challenge us to look like Christ through being generous. Through living lives that are radically, radically generous. And so there's three, three specific things I want to challenge you in tonight. And the first is this. The first thing is I, I want to challenge you to be generous when it comes to your cash, to your finances. Um, now, why I love this text, uh, because it's not lost on me who I'm talking to, Right? talking to a bunch of young young adults. Um, and the Macedonian church was broke, and so are a lot of us, right? And so I know that when you start talking about, hey, like, be generous, man, that's like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about, right? So um, I did some research. Um, this week I read an article uh, saying that millennials are simultaneously considered the richest and the poorest generation of all time. We are the richest because we love $7 coffee and avocado toast, uh, which just seems uh, very frivolous, right? Um, but we're also seen as the poorest because because of the recession in 08, there's been a, a kind of stagnation of wages for a season, right? So for a lot of us coming out of college, like the, the financial landscape looked drastically different. So for instance, uh, a, a new report from the Federal Reserve says that millennials make 27% less than baby boomers did at our age with uh, inflation adjusted. Right? So because of the recession, a lot of us are making 27% less than we would have made in 2007, which is crazy. Right? On top of that, so many people have crippling student loan debt, right? In in 2006, the the U.S. student loan, loan debt was about $480 billion. Right now, there are 44 million Americans. With student loan debt to the tune of 1.5 trillion dollars, right? So when, when uh, economists look at our generation, they think, man, those dudes are broke, right? And maybe you feel that, right? And so like, it, like, it is not lost on me, and so maybe you, you hear, wait, you're gonna challenge me to be generous with my money? What money? Dude, like I'm, like, I'm trying to pay bills. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to pay off debt and loans. I'm trying to uh, buy a house so I can finally get some equity in this world. Like, I'm, I'm trying to be a responsible adult. Dude, I am strapped. I don't have room to be generous. I can't afford to be generous. If that's you, I feel that. Right? I understand that, right? But I want to challenge you with something. Affordability and generosity will most likely always be at odds with one another will always feel like you cannot afford to be generous, right? But the reality is, I would argue that you can't afford to not be generous, right? Because the model that we have, if, if Christ is our model, the gospel was not a very affordable decision, right? Like if Christ was going to the cross and did a cost-benefit analysis, he's not going, right? Like, let's, let, let's just be honest, right? He looks all right. all so, right, so I'm stepping down from my throne in heaven— I'm becoming a person, I'm going to walk the earth, I'm going to endure the same temptation, yet be without sin. I'm then going to suffer. I'm going to experience heartache. My best friends are going to abandon me when I need it most. My own creation is going to beat me within an inch of my life. And then I'm going to die on a cross for people that are then going to consistently run, rebel, and take advantage of my grace. Yeah, no, that's not happening, right? Like like that wasn't an affordable decision. But we marvel at the gospel because it was generous. It was so generous. And so so I'm not saying that that we throw affordability out the window. I'm not saying that we don't budget or that we aren't uh, wise in our stewardship of what we have. But there's moments in time when when God says, hey, man, be generous. And, And it may not feel like you can afford it, but man, crazy stuff happens when we choose to look like Christ. To bless others, to serve others, to love others by being radically generous. An example a few years ago, um, one of the girls that attended here uh, was in the process of moving. And when she was moving, her car got broken into, and this person stole all of her clothes. Like literally, every piece of clothing she had it was gone. Right? That's a huge need, right? If you just woke up and your wardrobe was gone, right? And so the people in her home, home group decided to rally together and, and I think it was close to like $1,000 in gift, gift cards that they just anonymously gave to her. I knew about it, but she didn't know it. And it was this crazy, beautiful thing, right? Crazy, beautiful thing. And, and when I look at the people in that group, what I find is that a lot of them, like, they, they, they couldn't afford that. If they wanted to go drop $200 on an outfit, like that, that would have been a pinch, right? They, like, that wasn't wise stewardship. Yet in this moment, they had this realization of like, I can live a little tighter for the rest of the month. I can forgo a few things for the rest of the month. I can eat out less for the rest of the month. If that means that I get to be generous, that I get to meet a need, right? And I think about that for us, like, man, maybe we're in a place where, where we just need to think strategically about what can I give up? Maybe it's, man, I, I don't eat out as much. Maybe, maybe it means I trade my CrossFit membership for a 24-hour membership, right? Like, you know, what, like, what can I do to free up some cap room that allows me to be generous? Because the re- reality is one of the ways that it looks like for us to be generous is that we are generous with the money that we have, even when it feels like we are living in extreme poverty, which, side note, you're probably not, but it might feel that way. Second. I want to challenge you to be generous with uh, your resources and your connections. With your resources and connections. The reality is that God has gifted every single person in this room with some incredible resource, whether you realize it or not. I think that one of the most beautiful things to see is when the body of Christ comes together and freely gives away the resources that they've been blessed with, right? So um, maybe that's a skill, right? Like maybe you are an incredible photographer, And generosity looks like uh, giving away a free photo shoot for someone who could really use it, right? Or maybe you're an attorney, and and generosity looks like giving away free legal advice, stuff that's very, very valuable, but just giving it away for someone who's in need, right? If you're a nurse or a doctor, maybe generosity looks like like giving your time to go uh, serve those who are in underserved populations, right? I don't know. Maybe it's not a skill. Maybe it's a possession, right? Maybe, maybe you, you just come from money, right? And you have some crazy lake house or beach house or mountain house or ranch house or whatever kind of house you might have. And generosity looks like being open-handed and, and, and looking at someone who just needs a break. Say, hey, you know what? It looks like you need rest. And here's the keys to this house. It's yours as long as you want it, right? Or maybe it's like connections. Right? I mean, life is absolutely all about who you know, right? Maybe generosity looks like you just being open-handed with who you know, because some of you guys are connected, right? Maybe generosity is, is talking to a friend who's trying to find a job in a certain field, and you say, hey, you know what? I know a guy. Dude, I would love to hook you two up, right? Or they're trying to start a business, and you say, man, I, I would love to introduce you to my friend over here who, who could really help you guys out. Like, I don't know what that looks like, but we've all been resourced with something. And and to be honest, oftentimes the things that we are resourced with are the things that we just try to hoard the most, because a lot of them are valuable. A lot of them we can monetize, right? I mean, what would it look like for us to be so open-handed with the things that we have been resourced with to say, hey, it's yours. It's yours. It's an incredible way to be generous. And last is this. Uh, I want to encourage you to be uh, generous um, with your time and your attention. With your time and attention. Um, I am convinced that one of the most valuable commodities that we have is time. uh, Because there's not a lot of it, and we can't get it back. Right? And so because time is so precious, and because we live in a culture that wears busyness as a badge of honor, what typically happens is that we guard our time at all costs. Now, there is a place to have healthy boundaries, right? If you say yes to everything, that's also not wise. But there are certain times when, when we are just so stingy with our time because it's just it's so precious to us, right? But have you ever been in a conversation where, where someone is just looking over your shoulder the whole time, or they're ch- checking their watch, or they're checking their phone, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how unloved do you feel? How much of a burden do you feel when you're talking to someone who is so clear in the way that they interact that, man, you don't have time for me, that I'm a burden, that I'm a bother, that that I'm keeping you from something or somebody else? That's a really brutal feeling. But if you've been in a conversation where someone stops and they look you in the eye, especially if you know if they're busy, where they stop and they look you in the eye and they're invested in you, and they make you feel like the only person in the room, few things in this world make you feel loved like that. When somebody gives you their time, but specifically their attention. When you're the only person in the room. We have a phenomenal ability to point people to the grace of God when we just stop and say, hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. No, 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 no. Like, I got time. Like, how, like, how are you? Right, that's, that's crazy. Right, people feel loved when we give people our time and attention. Um, I'm going to brag on you guys for a 2nd If you were here last week, uh, surprise, we adopted a soccer team. That was fun. And uh, and so we adopted this soccer team. There's a a soccer team, World Relief FC, uh, a team of middle school uh, kids who are from all over the world who are here as refugees. Um, And the goal of adopting the soccer team is just to show up and be in their corner. These are kids that by age 10 have seen and experienced things that you and I will never experience and never see. And so a lot of their childhood has been robbed because they've just come from uh, governments where there's just a lot of oppression. A lot of uh, tyranny happening. And so our goal is just to show up and cheer and just let them be kids. Just let them play soccer, know that somebody is in their corner, right? And so on on Sunday, like 40 people showed up. These kids have never had anyone come to their games, ever. And all of a sudden, it took them until halftime to realize we were actually cheering for them. Um, It was was incredible. And once they caught on, once they realized oh my gosh, like it was so fun. They would score and they're like, yo, come on, what's up? Like, like, they're, like they were just so excited. But I was talking to the coach after the game and he's like, dude, they talked about that all day. The entire ride home, they, 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 they just couldn't believe that someone would take time. And so a group of young adults who, who just took two hours out of a Sunday afternoon just to show up and just to be present. Dude, that is changing somebody's life. It's showing them that they matter. It shows them that they're actually loved, that someone in this world actually cares about who they are and is in their team, or is in their corner and on their team. So, man, for you, like, when you look at your schedule, what, where can you free up some margin to actually just be present, right? And maybe that's, like, just carving out time in your schedule to say, I'm not doing anything right now. For 30 minutes, I don't have anything on my calendar. Just in case someone just shows shows up, I have the freedom to say, yep, it's yours, man, whatever you want. Or maybe it's just being aware and just as you're kind of going throughout your day, just having the the awareness of, man, who needs my time? Who who seems like they're in just desperate need of someone just to look them in the eye and make sure that they feel seen? And just imagine for a second if we as a people just decided, hey, let's all just be radically generous. Let's be radically generous with our money. Let's be radically generous with our time, with our attention, with the resources that we have, with our, with our, uh, our, our contact list. And I have to believe that the city of Fort Worth would look drastically different if we were just so freely just giving stuff away. And when people, people were so confused and say, like, why? Like, why are you just so over the top in your generosity? It allows us to point to our God and say, man, I've been on the receiving end of the most generous gift the world's ever known. My God has been so generous with me, and to be honest, I just want to look a lot like him. So I'm just going to be generous. Imagine if people who are skeptical of what we believe couldn't argue with how generous we were. I think that would be incredible. And so the question is, man, do we have the perspective that man, we long to be a part of what God is doing? That we are eager to, to be a part of re- relieving those who are hurting? Because we understand the grace of our God and the model that our God has left. That though He was rich, He became poor. So that through His poverty, you and I might become rich. Let me pray. God, you are uh, so generous to us. And I think that is a a phrase that we can throw out pretty easily. Um, But God, the reality of what the gospel looks like should floor us. The fact that we were, were far from you, the fact that your word says that we were strangers, we were enemies, yet because of your grace, because of your generous gift of your son, we are now called sons and daughters that we have been brought near, that we have been given a new name, that we have been given an inheritance that we don't deserve. your love, your grace is the most incredible picture of generosity. So, Father, my hope is that you stir our hearts to be generous people because of what you have done on our behalf. Father, I pray that you rid us of excuses tonight that as we uh, think about how can we step in to needs that we see around us, when we see brothers and sisters that are hurting, how can we bless, how can we love? God, that you just take away any excuses that we might have, saying, ah, I can't. God, will you give us the posture to be radically generous in the way that we live, knowing that we get to reflect your generosity to the world around us? We love you. Turn to something we pray. Amen. Man, if you were like me, it is probably manageable to remember to be generous in a few areas of your life. Whether that's with your time, your attention, or your effort or resources, even I can be generous with a couple. But if you want to be around other people who help remind you to be generous with your entire life, like Jesus was generous with his life for you, reach out to us at RenovateFTW.org or on social media at renovateftw. And we would love to connect you with a community of people who wants to help you walk out that generosity in every part of your life. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in again soon.